This week on Dig Me Out. Your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, Jay, we've got some new union members uh, since our last episode that we need to welcome. Uh, Brian Collin has joined us and Ian McIver both joined us in the recent weeks. Hello, Brian and Ian. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the circus. Yeah, the circus. Uh, we hope that... Uh, I think Ian's made his way over to the Discord. Uh, maybe Brian has as well. That's where our, our chat happens every day about uh, various things. Uh, recent discussions on Helmet's catalog happening and i don't know if you're aware of this jay you're out in the desert uh you might not you might be just be focusing solely on desert rock while you're out there i i, I i've been focused solely on living i'm trying survival. to survive avoiding yes. the the deadly ram attack that occurred mm -hmm. uh earlier in the day uh yeah. also uh, not only are our patrons uh you know, joining us, but they're also helping us pick albums like this episode. We had nine albums go to our patrons in April and uh, that were suggested by folks through digmeoutpodcast.com. And they voted and overwhelmingly, this was a runaway. This was not a close poll. There'll be no second chance on this one because it was just a, a complete destruction in the poll. The winner, I'm just going to give you the winner because it's so overwhelming. Jellyfish's Spilt Milk. Now, many years ago, we did the first Jellyfish record, Belly Button. And we went pretty deep on that one with Steve Turnage, who was the who's responsible for putting together a, um, I think it was a, a covers album. Is that right? Was he involved in that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, talked a lot. He's a producer, so he talked a lot about production and stuff. Went into the Jellyfish uh, recording. So now we're checking out the second and final Jellyfish album, Spilt Milk, which was suggested by our patron, Whitney Beeler. Congratulations, Whitney. And I mentioned this was a runaway. I mean, it was the only double-digit vote-getter. Everything else was sub-double digits. Uh, in second place was Biff Naked's I Biffacus, followed by the, uh, the Gant Harvest kicking in the water which was a had a lot of momentum at one point and and discord was lighting up about gand harvest they didn't uh, they didn't pull it off uh then there was push monkey self-titled the angels beyond salvation um and then uh drag mules 2a deadbolts tijuana hit squad the atomic fireballs torch this place and then uh, finally in last place clover Feel Lucky Punk. The over the like I said, the winner, Jellyfish Spilt Milk. Now, Jay, obviously we're familiar with Jellyfish. We've already done an album on them. And in, in many cases, we're completing the uh the the discography, discography completed uh for this band in the 90s. 
like we have with Paw and like we have with um, a couple other bands. So uh, were you familiar with this album? Yeah, this is the album that I'm most familiar with of, <clears throat> of the two. Uh, okay. I bought this, um, I think at the time it came out. So I remember the buzz from Belly Button. Um, I remember the videos and sort of the promise of the band. And then when this came out, um, I either bought it, um, I think maybe soon after it came out, but probably used because I bought everything used at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I got I got into it a lot. I, I listened to this uh, on CD quite a bit, and this is really I'm much more familiar with this than Belly Button. Uh, I think I went back later and got Belly Button and got um, into that. Um, this also transitioned me into like Imperial Drag and just kind of fo- following. Um, Rad, um, is it Joseph Roger Manning? Yeah, uh, and Eric Dover and you know the. Um, even the the original guitar player, um, Jason Faulkner, just, yeah, and just kind of keeping track of their careers, mostly based on this record. Gotcha. I I knew this record a little bit. I, I listened to it back when we reviewed Belly Button, but I didn't. I haven't really spent a lot of time with it. I knew that John Bryan was involved. He played guitar on some of the record, and um, I wasn't really familiar with sort of the the history of uh, the the lineup change which I don't, I don't know if we covered it but i'm gonna cover it here so the lineup changed on this record um jason faulkner had played on the first record he left following their tour first for belly button chris manning um was the bassist he left and was replaced by tim smith and uh, the guitar that would have been played by Jason Faulkner was covered by was covered by John Bryan and Lyle Workman. Uh, so this was recorded. Uh, this was released in February of 1993. Uh, it was recorded at a variety of studios in Los Angeles. It's Andy Sturmer, uh, Roger Manning, along with Bryan and Workman, um, Tim Smith on bass. And then also Tim, uh, Tom T-Bone Wolk played some bass on the record. Uh, Sturmer played, uh, was vocals, guitar, keyboards, and then it was produced by Manning and, and Sturmer. This was re-released in 2015 um, with bonus tracks. There's demos for a bunch of the songs. And then... Um, some live tracks, including some covers by like Harry Nilsson. Um, and then uh, what else about this record? So commercially, it didn't do very well. Peaked at 164 on the Billboard 200. It peaked at number 21 in the UK albums chart. Um, the Ghost at number one went to number 43 in the UK and New Mistake went to number 55 in the UK. Uh, after this, um, you you would see people go off in different directions. You would have the Greys, which was um, uh, Faulkner, who was previously in Jellyfish, joining John Bryan, 
along with Buddy Judge and, and Dan McCurl. That They had one record out, Rochambeau, which we've covered in 1994. Um, and then you mentioned Imperial Teen, or sorry, Imperial Drag. Mm. That was sort of the other half, which was Eric Dover and Roger Joseph Manning, along with uh, Joseph Carnes and Eric Scotus, again, another art, uh, band that we've covered, their 1996 self-titled release. And then they've also put out records recently as Licorice Quartet, uh, Manning, Dover, and bassist Tim Smith. I think they've done two EPs, and I think there's a th- there might be a third one coming out. They, it was May of last year, and then January of this year there have been the EPs. So that's everything about the band that up to, takes you up to this point. Let's get into some comments over at uh, Patreon. Uh, Jason Pan said, don't know a lot of these. The Angels feels out of place in a 1990s podcast, given their career at that point. So we'll roll with Biff Naked. We're on the list here. Do this song on the Buffy soundtrack. That's right. Uh, a lot of people know them for their soundtrack contributions. Um, Kyle Bittner, I'm going with Gen Harvest because I'm Canadian. And so are they. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Scott uh, said, push monkey because of the band name. Eric Peterson the day I got my spine back, I stopped voting for popular bands, albums that I know I already like, Cough, Spilt Milk, Cough, and voted for Deadbolt. I guess Darkly Humor, Dark Humor, Surfy, Roots Rock is hard sell with the DMOers. I, you know, I don't know, maybe. I think people went with something they were familiar with on this one. Because it was, it was a pretty diverse poll with a lot of new names. Uh, Keith Batch says, I always thought just because of the name that Biff Naked was a third-rate rap metal uh, band like what people yeah. too stupid and tasteless for Limp Biscuit or even Insane Clown Posse would listen to it was way different than I would have expected so it got my vote maybe this will come up uh, in the future uh, Whitney Biller said yeah. if we do that, that if record we, can't that record what? has to be better than the name it's totally not what you're expecting I've heard some of the songs yeah I remember uh, it vaguely when it came out Jellyfish, uh, Whitney Buehler said, Jellyfish, if they don't win, we aren't being honest. <laughs> Spilt Milk is one of the finest albums of the 90s, and for me personally, the equal of any other I've heard. To deny it a review by the DMO crew before the other eight albums on this list is just being contrarian. And Jim Lazowski said, I agree 1,000%. Richard Waterman, Jellyfish, for me, too. One of the best sounding albums ever. The original CD from 1993 has the dynamic range with an average of 12. Jay, an average of 12. That's amazing. Uh, Rock, pop, rock, pop, rock, power, pop, jazz, great songwriting and vocals, punchy, dynamic, quiet, loud. It has got everything worthiest of worthy albums. Willie Dillon said, wow, despite me not liking Jellyfish, you've almost sold me on it. I do want to point out that the dynamic range... Uh, is a big deal in the Discord community. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's every record gets a disc, gets a, a dynamic range uh, analysis, which is Critique, not something yeah. I ever expected to happen. Um, Gavin said I have to take the Angels here. As you know, I've put them forward for an '80s episode, which will be happening later this year. Uh, with Live Line, a superior album to this, but this is cool too. Good, honest Aussie pub rock. Uh, generally said good choice Gavin live line is a killer live album uh, Darren Leach from memory in the DMO earlier episodes Tim and Jay would reference Jellyfish a lot so I can see this winning but my vote is for the Angels 
fun fact, Guns N' Roses have stated that the Angels were an influence on them in the early days before they made it big. Interesting. Martin yeah. says, this one's easy. I love Jellyfish, and I don't know any of the other ones. Ah. <laughs> uh, Darren Lehman voted for Gand Harvest and Biff Naked. I've never heard a Jellyfish album before. I got three tracks in on this one, and my thoughts were fantastic musicianship. Reminded me a lot of Queen with some hints of Sgt. Pepper's tossed in, but not my thing. And I'm not being contrarian. Uh, and then we got a lot of like jellyfish anger that it was it was a runaway train. Uh, I'll skip those. Spil, uh, Stephen Musinski said spilt milk is something I bought solely based on how often their name came up when I was first getting into the podcast. I immediately loved it. Happy to see it's getting a moment in the sun. Aaron uh, also he went with the angels. Uh, David Haverlin said he went with Drag Mules over Ganhardis. Um, and uh, Jeremy Men said, I'm obviously not going to win, but I stand my ground and vote for the album I submitted. That was, He submitted uh, Drag Mules as well. Well, Jeremy, maybe in the future you can just make that your pick and we'll, and we'll get to it. Uh, I, I mean, the good news is that Jellyfish only had two 90s records, so. Yeah, we're done. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more runaways. We close out all commentary on, on the jellyfish after this after this episode. They're like the Tom Brady of Dig Me Out. Right. It's over. <laughs> Go to Tampa, jellyfish. All right, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked revisiting Spilt Milk by Jellyfish. Yeah, I think revisiting it, I, I'm able now to, I guess my brain can process the music music uh more now i i loved it uh when it originally came out but i don't f- think i fully understood like what was going on and all the things that they were uh referencing or inspired by and how they were putting it all together and now i'm able to process that process that a little bit better i have more history um listening to music so i get where some of this is coming from um i think the the comparison to Queen and the Beatles is is dead on. You know, it's it is very much walking that line um, with some of the production. I think um, the songwriting uh, is yes, Beatlesque, but I mean, God, who isn't? I mean, if you're going to go down that road, it's like they kind of invented what we consider rock and roll at this point. So. Um, or at least pop rock. So it's hard to, you know, say that any band isn't right like that. So, but from a production standpoint, there, there's definitely some things on this that are, you know, uh, vocally. I mean, the first track, uh, Hush, I mean, that is a very queen, uh, like, you know, vocal harmony technique that you, you know, that Freddie Mercury and that band did quite a bit. So, like, there's definitely a lot of things like that that now I'm able to understand and pick up and probably at the time didn't fully understand that. So that was a lot of fun because um, there's just so much going on in this record. I mean, it's um, all kinds of accents, all kinds of instruments. I think what stood out to me kind of peeling a, apart all the layers is just um how little guitar there is on this record um it's kind of funny that you know one of the notable things about it is the the member changes and 
Jason Faulkner leaves and Eric Dover comes in and they had John Bryan playing guitars and it's largely although it can rock it's largely not a guitar like driven record even though some of the songs have some great guitar parts and tracks and but it, it's it's weird in the way that they're mixed uh the tones that are there they're not like super big um in fact they're, they're pretty small it's it's all the other instruments and um the vocals and like uh, everything else that's going on around the songs it's it's really interesting like there was even um a couple of moments where you know there there was a guitar um centered part or song and I like even just paying trying to pay close to it and pick it out like I couldn't even like quite figure out what was going on because there were so many parts and like the way it was mixed and stuff and just how it was de-emphasized in a weird way too um I just found that really interesting uh and not I think apparent at first when you were listening to the record um I also picked up some things like you know, a song like All's Forgiven uh, really starts to, I think, carve out a, a more, I think, unique 90s sound. The only band I could come close to comparing it to would be like almost Manic Street Preachers-esque um, and that 6-8 vibe. Um, it's more rocking. It's got, you know, more guitar focused. <laughs> So it was cool to, you know, moments like that that were maybe not so down the Sgt. Pepper's path um, that did sound 90s in some respects to me, which was kind of cool because you think of this band as being either like a little retro or timeless and not necessarily a, maybe a 90s sounding band. Um, I think also the a couple things one this is probably what planted planted the seed in my um in my head about john bryan and like how to m maybe get an appreciation for him this is mm -hmm. probably the first time i heard him and um you know i was a fan of his through the 90s um anything he touched i was sort of inter interested in listening to and now going back i can kind of see that's another you know, puzzle piece I can put into place and knowing he was involved in this record and um, some of the kind of chamber things going on, accordions and pian uh, electric pianos or like um, Mellotron or just all the other st strange like acoustic sounds, guitar sounds and like his sort of signature 
sounds are are on this record uh little like bells and chimes and you know accents like that i mean that's a lot of what he does um so i thought i found that interesting too is that this is probably where i got familiar with what that sound is and then was able to attach to it so much when i heard him do it because i was calling back to this um so it's kind of cool to go back and spend some time with it um that way um there's so much like not just going on but there's so many unexpected twists and turns when you really start you know when you really dig into the music um little accents pauses switch introductions of new instruments tons of harmonies um it's it's really a journey uh very cinematic and visual too that's something that probably what characterizes this band um so much is that it's it's almost like you're watching a movie you know just in not only the interludes and the but just the lyrics are very like visual oriented um maybe in the same ways that like sergeant peppers is where you know they're describing things with uh, adjectives that just give it all personality and you can like picture it in your head um i uh, i think that's really another thing that just makes this uh continue to connect you know you can just you can listen to it on so many different levels and experience it on so many levels you can experience it just as a pop record um and just listen for the harmonies and the hooks you can experience it as like almost a concept um it's something that's cinematic you can experience it as a prog record <laughs> um you can experience it as like you know a john bryan-esque you know whatever you call whatever he is he does <laughs> chamber rock or something um it's 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 really interesting and uh from that from that aspect that you know i can listen to it as one person and hear all the and experience it in all those different ways um so yeah there's a so much going on in this record it's the thing i kept the, the thing i kept thinking about as i listened to it my the last time was trying to imagine being the A&R or the label folks um, getting this back <laughs> and I don't know how you know how you don't just or how you're not just giddy like oh my god the you know the band I signed and we're working with is like making this record this is un, uh, absurdly great like <laughs> um especially at the time, you know, um, what was going on to, to have this, I don't know if I was an A&R guy and, I, or, or, and heard this black playing back uh, from the band that I was invested in, I'd just be like, I can't believe we've had the opportunity to work with a band that's doing this. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a pretty astounding record in so many different ways. And, um, I still enjoy it as much now as I did, uh, when I got it 20 odd years ago. So that was a lot. There's a lot <laughs> to like about this record for me. What about you? Well, you know, the interesting thing was I, I a B this cause I didn't have a good memory of 
this I, I remember the songs, but I was like trying to remember what the sound of of Belly Button was. So I actually went back and yeah. and listened to that. And the thing that caught me was like, I, I even though I really liked that record, this record has a fullness that is somehow they they took what they did before and brought a, f- a fuller sound. Um, I think that's helps with songs like uh, the second track, Joining a Fan Club, which has this big guitar riff. Um, that that didn't really occur on the first record. There's some guitar stuff that happens, but not in the same way as as that record as as that song does. And it really hits you like right out of the the gate after yeah. that opening song. Um, and I just I think I responded a lot better to this record. The first record is more of like a. Both records are awe inspiring. This one to me felt like I can actually dig into this record and get like some really interesting sounds and and things that I want to revisit. Whereas after I listened to to Belly Button, I didn't really go back to it. I mean, I I appreciate how amazing it is, but it didn't stick with me the way that this record has and and the riffs and the and you know all the comparisons that we can make are, have been made between Queen and the Beatles and there's stuff that's Beach Boys-esque when they do those like staccato piano yeah. hits yeah. and there's the harmonies um you mentioned all is forgiven there's like it's like it is like a cross between like there's like a Manx Street Preachers uh a design for life vibe to that song but then there's those like multi-tracked vocal stabs that sound like Freddie Mercury yeah and I think what I was realizing after, you know, song after song and, and listening to it over and over again is that, yes, they are paying homage to all of these bands that they admire, whether it's the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Queen, Badfinger, whatever. But they are the way that they're utilizing those tricks is is really ingenious because they'll throw things in like you mentioned like all is forgiven is a pretty like 90s-esque rock song but with freddie mercury vocals thrown in randomly yeah and there are other songs like that where you hear the beach boy harmony in a breakdown or the staccato piano that you know you'd hear on penny lane or something like that yeah and um but it's all within the context of very quickly shifting parts which those songs don't have. You know, when you think back to Penny Lane, yep. that's the whole song. It's this very jaunty little pop song. When you think about Beach Boys on, say, Pet Sounds, when you listen to uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice or or God Only Knows, this song pretty much stays the same throughout. I mean, there's there are huge chord changes and and key changes within the songs but they are not as wildly changing as some of these songs that from a verse to a chorus become two completely different things that they somehow work uh, or make work, which is pretty crazy. Um, And I agree with you, like the way that this ends on brighter day, I mean, it, it like sort of, it's almost like a, um, uh, a coda like it ca- encapsulates everything that they do 
uh, yeah. across the record, and it has this weird cinematic circus quality, almost like musical quality, like a, a movie yep. musical, uh, which, you know, those are hard to pull off, <laughs> especially in the rock vein. You know, not yeah, a lot of I know. rock musicals have worked. Strike the tents, unpop the pink ones. Pack the carriages with the flesh freaks of fever. At the beach, we left them shell shocked. Lining up the afternoon view of next year. When I was listening to some of this, I thought, in fact, I had Zora listen to it because I was like, kids that have been that are into the Greatest Showman, like they mm-hmm. would probably connect with this record. Like there is an aspect of that to it that, like, yeah, a little, little Broadway or musical or, um, it, it uses some familiar sounds from you know, um, shows like that. So yeah, yep. totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if you look at like like bye bye bye, I mean that could be from like cabaret, that like that beat and that tone yeah. of that song. I mean those are and I'm not the biggest musical like I'm not the most knowledgeable person when it comes to musicals. I've only seen, you know, half a dozen. Yeah. yeah. Um and a lot of them are very modern. So the few that I do know, I'm like, oh well they're so then it makes me realize, oh, they're not just pulling from these like four or five big rock bands. They're also listening to like a much broader spectrum of music and influences that are are a little more diverse and um a little bit more stagey. Like you know, you know what I mean. Like there's there's an element of like you said, cinematic. There's a musical element in terms of like actually musicals that's going into this. Where if this band had been bigger. They probably would have been. We probably would have had one of those jukebox musicals on uh, on Broadway, because these songs lend themselves to that perfectly. Yep. Uh, in, in in much better than like Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. It, there's also like a sense of place to some of this stuff too. Like, bye bye bye. There's that section where it switches. And it suddenly feels like you're listening to the Beatles in Paris or something. You're like, whoa, I was just transported somewhere. Like a lot of this record, I feel like I'm uh, I'm on a journey going someplace that I can see. If I close my eyes and listen to what they're talking about, listen to like all the different instruments that are being used and what they're, uh, how they're being used, it gives me a sense of like being at a sp- in a specific place in time. Yeah. Uh I was thinking about it. Another song you mentioned about having a '90s vibe, like the Ghost at Number One. I feel like the core of the song is not that complicated, but because of the layers they add onto it, it mm-hmm. gives you a vibe that you know they use the timpani, 
there's the the sort of harp harpsichord playing that's going on but if you if you were to break that song down the the really the chords and the melody are are fairly simple not simple but they're they're not wildly complicated the way some of the other songs are yeah um but they're so masterful at like finding the exact right tone of extra instruments you know if they had used you know something other than that timpani you know a china or something it, it probably wouldn't work as well um uh, but they found like a way to integrate these things into some of which are very straightforward pop songs um which makes absolutely that, yeah. you know it's just adding a layer of quirkiness that i can understand how someone who's not familiar with this style of music i mean this is more than just power pop yeah this isn't just matthew sweet i mean this is taking yep. it to a whole nother level yeah so if you were listening to if you had heard girlfriend and you're like oh if you like girlfriend you might like jellyfish you might listen to this and then you, you get to you hit sabrina paste and play-doh and you're like what in the hell am i listening to th- <laughs> i mean that sounds like a kid song he's looking dapper in his brand new dance cap strolling down the runway to an end Yeah, let's not lose sight of the fact that um, I think in 80% of these songs, they are hitting the chorus within 30 seconds. So you just talked about Ghost Number 1. Yep. They hit the chorus of that song in 20 seconds. <laughs> they get through a verse and get you to the hook in 20 yep. freaking seconds. Most of these songs are under four minutes. A lot of them are two and a half, three, three and a half in that category so yep. which is hard to like when you, when i'm looking at those numbers and thinking about the journey that each of those songs goes on in that amount of time it is incredible um that they're able to yeah take what and sometimes is um yeah can be could be a matthew sweet song but from a production and just presentation interpretation standpoint goes a whole other place i think the thing that i heard this time or, or as I listened to it more, was the influence not on the record, but what the influence was on the records that followed. So when I listened to like, New Mistake, I was like, oh, wow, this sounds like August and Everything After. Not August and Everything After. Uh, that's the Connie kind of Crows. August Everywhere by Blink of the Star. <laughs> right. I know what you meant. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. This, this is, I could hear Jordan being into this record yeah. and and getting because you know that's got that 70s vibe to some of that stuff with the keyboards and whatnot and he's utilized that going forward as opposed to like the earlier blinker records which were a little more abrasive um but i i started to hear where other artists later down the road were like 
that's cool. I'm going to pick that part out and utilize that. Or I'm in, you know, maybe go in a direction they weren't planning on because they heard something crazy on this record. Was there anything like that for you where you where you heard something and you went, oh, that strikes that strikes me as something another band down the road might have picked up on? Um, that's a great question. Uh, well, I mean, the, uh, uh, what's all is forgiven? I was like, hmm, sounds like a little bit where the Mannix ended up going, right? A couple years later, um, or a year later. Um, I mean, there's an ambition to this that I think a lot of other bands have drawn from, um, more in the prog probably realm. Um, and and or the offshoots of this um, but man I think it's so unique it's hard to even approach it like replicate it and, and, and I want to talk a little bit about Andy Sturmer's vocals um, you know he's got a pretty unique voice uh, it's not it's um, distinctive in that you know you know it's him, but he's able to I think deliver quite a bit of emotion too, which is one of the things I think with some power pop um, doesn't always come across. Like it's so about the harmonies and like the song that sometimes the singers are not incredibly emotive or, but he's able to like I think really express himself um, and, and, and express like you know energy and you know yearning and you know a lot of a different kind of emotions without being over top about it you kind of just get in if you focus on kind of the tone of his voice and how he's singing like um i think he does a great job not overshadowing the songs i mean he's not a freddie mercury you know where he's gonna blow your mind (laughs) uh hitting some incredible notes but I do think that just, there is real emotion in these songs a lot of the time because of his performance, um, and, I, and I think it helps elevate um, a lot of this material to just go from like, you know, complex, beautiful like music beds and songs to like, you know, what I would what I would say is more like a rock kind of feel, and a lot of it has to do I think with his his delivery uh, vocally, which. You know he's he's probably the least um, active member of this band after this record. At least, I mean, I know that behind the scenes he's done a ton of writing and production and stuff. But like, he hasn't had another band or a solo career or done anything as an artist. You know, up front since then. So, um, it's kind of a, you know, his uh, his tour de force. <laughs> right. Um... Hey, your audio screwed up. My audio is screwed up? Oh, now it's back. Okay. Sorry, it sounded like you were off your mic. Oh. Um, so, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? I've never been a huge fan of the song Russian Hill. <laughs> it's okay. It's not my mm-hmm. favorite song on the record. I, and it's a little long. It's It's one of the few that gets over four minutes. Um, it's you know four fifty, four forty five. It's okay it, to me. It'd be you know more of a B side kind of track. Um, but that's really it. I mean, I, I just I, I love this record. Uh, 
I love it when it came out. I love it now. Um, I appreciate it in different ways than I even did then, like I explained earlier. Um, it's hard to pick it apart. I mean, you know, part of me would love to have heard, like, maybe some of the, you know, the raw rock stuff that you hear on, like, Imperial Drag come through. Um, I mean, there are moments here on this record. Joining a fan club goes to number one. There's, you know, some other moments where you get some All is Forgiven, you know, some more rock, guitar rock oriented stuff. But, you know, maybe just a a bit more of that. Um Maybe one or maybe trade Russian Hill for something else, you know, more in that vein. And, but, yeah, it's it's hard to, it's hard for me to criticize this record at all. I think it's just a great work of art, and it's just incredible that this came out in 1993. Um, the only song I mentioned it earlier. The only song I don't love is Sabrina Paste and Plato, um, just because he's sort of singing like a kid. Yeah. It's a little weird. Um, I don't, I, Russian Hill is fine. Um, it's, yeah. it is a little long. Um, I understand what they're trying to do with that moody piece in, in the back half, but, um, yeah, that's my only like issue with the, with the, I, and yeah. the music's fine. Um, I just don't, his, he's just singing a little weird on that song for me. I understand. And this is sort of like, yeah, a, it's a, uh. I think there's a concept here, and I think that's part of the concept. Yeah. So. It, it It's kind of at a weird place in the record, too. Yeah. Right? To, to hit with track three to go that. Um, yeah, that off kilter. <laughs> Unexpected. Mm-hmm. I think in the context of the record, I like it. But, yeah, if you are just getting into the record the first time and you get to that track, I could see... Um, backing up a little bit like what the hell is this now uh, Jay if you want to get one of the um, the uh, the Omnivore re-releases yeah. uh, on vinyl good luck uh, they're like 250 bucks and up wow. um, yeah just even the re-releases are and, th- and not only that but they did CD releases as well uh, those are in the like there was so there's a double CD release uh, that goes for um, what was it? It was ridiculous. It was like two hundred dollars as well. Yeah, two hundred thirty nine dollars it's selling for right now for CDs. What is crazy? Yeah, never heard of such a thing for a CD. Craziness. Yeah, th- and this pan is um. They got the mystique, right? That's what drives those prices. Yes. Because it was so short and so much incredible, like such an impact. Um, so, yeah. So, and they never, re- I mean, yes, there's some bands that have formed out of the ashes of it that are similar in some ways, but two and oh, done. It, so, apparently, they did three different colors of the re release. One was purple. And only 25 of the purples were were um, able to be sold because the rest were destroyed for some reason. So if you want to get a purple copy, it's going to cost you a grand. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Craziness. 
that it's just crazy. I mean, just print up some more records, people. Uh, it's not that hard. And then there, I don't know if you know this, but in 2002, a box set came out with belly button demos and a tour and spilt milk demos and a tour as well. That's about 200 bucks if you want to get that. It's a four CD set. Again, four CDs, about 200 bucks. Yeah. So 50 bucks a CD. I, I think that that I think the That's belly all button streaming, demos are. Right? Yeah, well, the belly button demos are streaming. I don't think the spilt milk demos are, are streaming. Yep, you're right. So. Yeah, I don't even know. Oh, they have a Live at Bogart's album that came out in uh, 2012. Uh, that's only 50 bucks. Huh. <laughs> came out on Omnivore. Oh, it's 50 bucks for the CD. If you want the LP, it's going to cost you uh, 120 you bucks. They covered Hold Your Head Up. They covered No Matter What. They covered uh, Let Them In. So... Oh, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, another band we didn't talk about. There's a lot of wings on this record, like Paul McCartney solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. As much Sgt. Pepper, uh, I hear I hear quite a bit of, and that's usually like more in the in the guitar oriented, or even in some of the vocal melodies. Um, that was another band that I thought of. Well. It's probably anticlimactic to say this, but where do you land on this record, Jay? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? <laughs> uh, it's a worthy album. I mean, this is why it ran away in the poll. I mean, I, you can't put this right. You can't put this record up for a, a poll, and yeah, you're not being honest if you don't. I mean, not everybody has to like it, but you can't listen to this and say, "Oh, this isn't worth a conversation." <laughs> this isn't worth being dug up and you know more people hearing it that 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 isn't a logical thought that people should have um yes there's community people like you know our listeners some of our listeners although there were some folks who hadn't heard jellyfish before and then we've turned them on to that so that's awesome um because that's what this is the kind of band you want to see that happen with like you know you want to i would love for like kids to discover this record and a whole new generation you know of people to um listen to it and, and appreciate it and be inspired by it so yeah we're the album in every possible way for me um i i just i did notice that in between the two records they put out a promotional ep called jellyfish comes alive and they did studio version well i don't know if they're studio or live but they there's recordings of no matter what um let them in and jet is the closer so there you go yeah. with the paul mccartney solo material little wings action go. right there which yep. totally makes sense i mean i can totally hear them in that vein right so that uh that's not a surprise i can't find that on discogs though i don't know why that's not on maybe i'm maybe it's uh, something else i don't know they have a there's a quite a bit of like I didn't realize this with this band. Um, there's a lot of like singles with other songs. I don't think they're like necessarily all non-album songs, but um, 
it looks like there's like live tracks and uh, a lot of uh, covers. So, yeah, Jet shows up on a seven inch in the UK as a as a B side to I want B side. Do I want to stay home from uh, from the first record? So interesting, interesting indeed. I'm sure the completists out there have got all these seven inches from the UK and the Netherlands and all that uh, kind of stuff. Right. Because I don't think they've ever put out like a a comp of all their. Uh, um, or maybe they have. Maybe that fan club thing covers that. I thought that was just live, but maybe there's some B-side stuff on there. Who knows? So we need to thank Whitney Beeler for making this suggestion. You can make a suggestion yeah. at digmeoutpodcast.com. We get them all the time. We like seeing them. <coughs> excuse, excuse me. Sometimes stuff that we've never heard of. Sometimes stuff that uh, has already been submitted and, and already lost polls, which is good because then it gets back into another poll and maybe people will give it a second chance. And then sometimes things we've already reviewed and you should probably just check what we've already reviewed because it's embarrassing when you do that. Uh, but uh, you, vote, you vote on those at Patreon. You can join us for as little as two bucks a month at the uh, Dig Me Out Union by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. It's also where you can read the uh, box newsletter that gets delivered to your inbox each week. Uh, every weekend, uh, we send it out uh, two new reviews, usually, of music or books or uh, movies related to the 80s or 90s uh, music that we talk about. And then uh, our release calendar of all the stuff. There was stuff spilling out this week. There was lots of stuff that got announced. Everybody's getting their their, their COVID, uh, uh, you know, releases done and they're getting them out so uh new things afoot they're all hoping they can get out on tour and exactly have records out yeah uh so you go to uh you go to digmeoutpodcast.com to sign up for the box newsletter and then of course if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at apple podcasts so for jay i'm tim we're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. So-